We are continuing in our worship series on being immersed into the biblical story. And we're looking at the entire Bible this year. And today we're looking at the whole book of Job. It's 42 chapters long. Don't worry, I won't read the whole thing. But I do want to provide some context of the whole of Job before I read chapter one for you today. Job is a part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. That's what its genre is known as. And wisdom literature is not so interested in being historically accurate of places and dates and times, but what it's really trying to do is to take a very specific story and a specific peoples and then extrapolate those ideas out, how we might find a similar kind of wisdom in that story for ourselves both as individuals, but also collectively as the people of God. That's what the wisdom literature is all about. How can we see wisdom in those texts and apply it to our lives and our community as well as people of faith? One other thing I want to mention by way of introduction to to Job is that you're going to see in the middle part of chapter 1, God talking to one of his sons of God, quote-unquote, who is called Satan. This comes from the word hasatan in Hebrew, and it's translated as capital S, Satan, but it could also be translated as the accuser. This springboard of Job chapter 1 and talking about Satan has been a launching pad for me in trying to understand things about evil and devil and Satan and the whole of the biblical story. And so I just want to mention something for just a minute or two about this because we're in a sermon series on the whole Bible. In the Hebrew scriptures, there is no mention of the devil. Isn't that curious? If you've been reading along with us so far, maybe you've noticed that. There's no such mention of the devil because it seems like in pop culture and in the New Testament, the devil appears somewhat frequently, but it's not in the Hebrew scriptures at all. So what's going on? Why is the devil not there? Well, frankly, there is some kind of curious understanding, and maybe we could have some more deeper Bible study about this at some point, but there is part of the Jewish tradition in the Hebrew scriptures where there is God, and then there's these angelic beings that are called sons of God. And Hasatan, the accuser, is the one that we hear about having a conversation with God in Job chapter 1. And Satan is only mentioned a couple other times in the Old Testament, but there's no mention of the devil at all. The devil is an introduction in intertestamental times, kind of like 300 BC to Jesus' time from Greek culture that influenced Christians and influenced the Jewish tradition. The devil comes from a Greek culture background and tradition. So I just mentioned some of that by way of introducing you to this part of Job chapter 1. It's not, when you hear the word Satan, don't think of like this red devil with a pitchfork and a tail, okay? It's, it's an angelic being that is son of God, and they stand there to play the role of devil's advocate, Hasatan, the accuser, okay? So there's my little introduction, wisdom literature and Satan, and now we're going to read Job chapter 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. There once was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. 
He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. One day the heavenly beings, or if you look in your Bible, it also says sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels, carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly, a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, 
the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the NBA basketball season gets started in a couple of weeks, and I know for many of the Golden State Warriors fans that are part of this church community are excited about that because they did so poorly last year that they were not invited into the bubble in Florida to play during the pandemic. And so we haven't seen a live uh, Golden State Warriors basketball game in a long time. And this last week was filled with a mix of good news and bad news for the Golden State Warriors. Good news, they got a great draft pick, and it looks like they're going to have a pretty good team. But bad news, and that Clay Thompson, one of the best basketball players in all of the NBA, who tore his ACL last year and missed all of last season, tore his Achilles tendon this week. And he's going to miss out on this next season of the NBA as well. And who knows? Torn ACL, torn Achilles, maybe that's going to be problematic for the future for him too. It's going to be hard to come back from that, from two years off with those kinds of injuries. And this week, as I heard about Clay Thompson's injuries, I, I had just a, the smallest amount of PTSD. I played basketball when I was in high school, and 20 years ago, 20 years ago when I was a sophomore in high school, I devoted my entire life to basketball. And I devoted myself to basketball because I just loved it. It was my favorite sport, and when I was a sophomore in high school, I wasn't very gifted athletically, I wasn't very talented, but I was big, I was tall. And so I knew if I worked really hard, I might make myself onto the JV basketball team. So I did. I worked really hard for six months. And I made it. I made it onto the JV basketball team. But in our very first scrimmage, I was going down the court, and I was trying to catch a pass that was a full-court pass. And I jumped up to catch it. And this little guy from Lions High School ducked down and undercut me. And I fell over him. I hit my arm on the ground, and I split my wrist bone in half. Oh, it was the most painful thing you could imagine. I couldn't feel my arm for two or three hours. All, all feeling and sensation was gone for a while. It was the most horrific thing that happened. It was terrible. But beyond just the pain of the physical part of it, I lost basketball. And basketball was not just basketball, but it was a part of my identity. It wasn't just a part of my identity. It was how I had relationships and friendships. I missed out. I lost on those experiences of sitting on the bus with other kids, of being in the locker room, those great moments of, of pain and joy and getting to be there with everybody. I missed out on a whole year of that. And maybe missing out on a whole year of that doesn't seem like a lot in the span of a lifetime. But when you're in high school, you know what it's like. Three months, six months feels like everything. You know, it feels like everything. I went through tremendous loss too when I heard and I remembered that when I listened to Clay Thompson's story this week. The truth is, friends, that we all experience loss in life, right? We all experience loss in a variety of different kinds of ways. We all experience it. It's a part of life. Loss of relationships that we have with other people. Maybe we lose friendships. We might physically actually lose people we love and people we care about. People might die. People might move away. We might lose things like that, part of what we believe to be our status or our identity, things that we love and we care about. Loss is just woven into the human experience and it's a part of our life. But when we go through times of loss, what do we do about it? What do we do when we lose these things? What is Clay Thompson gonna do this week? What do you do? What do we do? Do you start to blame yourself? 
Do you look at yourself and go, oh, these bad things happened to me and the loss I experienced happens because maybe I sinned or I did something wrong, so I deserve this loss in my life? When you experience loss, do you run away from it? Do you pick up a cell phone or just dive into a TV screen for weeks on end and just try to avoid thinking and feeling about it altogether? What do you do when you experience loss? Do you just try to avoid it? Do you blame the devil? Do you blame evil in the world and specifically? Do you blame God? Or like, what do you do when you experience loss? Well, let's look at what Job does in the midst of his loss, and maybe we'll see something in the midst of this that we could find God in as well when we look at Job's loss. So what does Job do? What does Job do when he experiences loss? Right, we all think 2020's been a tough year and a bad year. (laughs) It's nothing like that moment of messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger that comes to Job and finally tells him that he's lost all of his children, they've all died. Right, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And what does Job do? Job shaves his head, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and falls onto the ground and worships God. And for the next 41 chapters, Job wrestles with God. Job wrestles with God. After chapter one, Job talks to his three best friends and all they do is have at it. Where is God in the midst of this loss? Why did this happen to me? What is going on? Is God a just God? I thought God was a just God. If I did these things, then I would get these things, but I never sinned. So I do not deserve what happened to me. Where is God in all of this, my friends? Where is God in the midst of this? And then not only does Job talk to his three best friends about this, but then he talks to God directly. He says, God, where are you? What are you doing? Job wrestles with God. He goes directly to God instead of avoiding or blaming or looking some other direction. Job wrestles with God directly, goes right after God in the midst of talking to three best friends and praying and offering it up in the form of poetry in Job, which is frankly beautiful. Job wrestles with God. My youngest son, well, I only have one son. My son, Axel, he, uh, I have two kids, so I'm still trying to figure out how to use proper language these days about my children. But my son, Axel, is six and a half months old. And for the last two or three months, as we've been doing some tummy time and floor time with Axel, he is just kind of a fussy baby sometimes and makes these kind of groaning noises like, I don't want to mimic all of them because they're really kind of obnoxious. I, I love him, he's beautiful, but he makes these annoying noises. And while he's making these annoying noises on the floor, he's also just kind of like wiggling a little bit like this, wiggling a little bit like this, moving his shoulders and his arms a little bit. You can see his, his toes moving a little bit and his neck like this, and he kind of slowly pushes up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, earlier this week, he put one arm like this in front of himself And he went like that, and he pulled his body weight up. And then with another arm, he pulled his body weight up and started to move across the living room floor. And he's only six months old. He's not supposed to be doing this yet, but he's doing it. He started to army crawl. And I realized the reason why he was groaning 
is that each of these little movements, these micro movements in his body was a learning process to get to this moment of army crawling. And it wasn't just to do these micro movements to get to the army crawl, but it was to get to the soccer ball that was 10 feet away from him that he wanted desperately, (laughs) that he'd seen me and his older sibling play with. He wanted to play with that soccer ball too. And finally, it was like he let out all of those groans and those micro emotions, and now he's going everywhere. He's gone. He's all over the house now. He's not just groaning and crawling. He's crawling. He's going after it. And he has this soccer ball. And those moans and those groans have like become laughter and joy for him in some ways. You could just see it on his face. He's so excited. He's so excited that he just has to put the whole soccer ball in his mouth. But obviously he can't do that. But there he is. It's a beautiful moment I've been able to see in my son. This small micro movements that led to him finally getting to that soccer ball that was 10 feet away. I think this is a vision to me as I've watched this happen with my son this week and I've been reading Job at the same time. This is what Job is all about, right? Job is wrestling with God, not just for the point of wrestling with God, right? Like my son doesn't just sit there doing all these movements, making these annoying noises for the sake of doing that stuff. No, it's because he wants to get to the soccer ball that's 10 feet away from him. And all of these little things lead up to him moving towards there and then getting to that soccer ball. And in a similar kind of way, when Job experiences deep loss that God caused in his life, Job then wrestles with God. He does all the stuff. He talks to his best friends. He wiggles this part of his body. He talks directly to God. He talks to his wife. He prays. He shaves his head. He worships. He throws himself on the ground and he wrestles with God. He wrestles with God. And at the end of the story, there is a soccer ball that's 10 feet away from Job. And I want to talk about that soccer ball now that's 10 feet away from Job. In the midst of all this wrestling, there come some truly beautiful moments at the end of the book of Job. A lot of people feel like the end of Job is to some extent a, um, I don't know, a shallow conclusion because he is restored in the midst of his wrestling. Everything that he's lost is given back to him times two. But there's two things I want to point out at the end of Job that I think is beautiful, and it is that soccer ball that was 10 feet away from him that he gains new perspective on who God is and enters into a more full and beautiful picture of his relationship with God. And it's these two things. The first is in chapter 42, verses three through five, and I wanna read these words. They should be on the screen in front of you now. This is Job speaking to God, okay? God just spoke for three chapters and now Job is responding. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. What I hear in these short few verses from Job is that he has entered into a relationship with God that is based on the mystery of God. God is too wondrous for him. God is so much bigger than what he knew God to be in chapter one. I don't know if you can remember back in chapter one, but Job was something of a sin manager, right? And his relationship with his children, when they went out partying and drinking, then he would show up early in the morning and he would wash them clean, sanctify them before God, and then set up some burnt offerings for each of them so that they would be blameless in front of God. And even in his own relationship with God, Job was sort of a sin manager. I'm never going to do anything wrong. I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to do anything wrong. 
And yet somehow in the midst of all that sin managing, he missed a piece of who God is. He is able to exclaim at the end of chapter one, it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. But somehow now he's at that soccer ball and I think he can see that relationship with God is so much more than sin management, right? It's so much more than protecting myself from wrongdoing. But it's this fullness and beauty of a God who is wondrous, who is filled with mystery. And there inside of that mystery, one can ascribe meaning onto one's life. You can look back. You can go, oh yeah, I see now how maybe that loss, how that loss has led me to where I am here and where you have been along the way, Lord, with me. So I think that's one piece of what the soccer ball looks like for Job. Job is restored in his relationship with God, and frankly, he's progressed. A new perspective has come into his life. And the second thing I want to notice for us is that in the restoration at the very end, Job gets 10 more children back. He gets seven sons and three daughters. And the distinction between the very beginning and the very end of the story is that Job names his three daughters at the end of the story. Now, if you look in the NRSV, it has the transliteration of the Hebrew words. Transliteration means um, what the Hebrew word sounds like written into English. So if you look at the NRSV, it'll just sound like some obscure Hebrew names. But if you were to translate what they mean into English, the names of his three daughters were Dove, Spice Girl, Horn of Eyeshadow. Ah. Here is a person, I think, who has shifted into opening up his hands a little bit in his relationship with his children. He's not so worried about consecrating them, taking care of them, offering up burnt offerings for them, but instead he himself has let go of them a little bit to allow them to enter into this wondrous relationship with God, to encourage them to go into this. He's a little bit more open-handed with it in the naming of them. Isn't that beautiful? Dove, spice girl, horn of eyeshadow. Somehow Job has entered into this new place where the soccer ball is, and I think he can appreciate life and the gifts from God all the more as a result of his wrestling, all the more. I think that's the wisdom we can glean from this story, my friends. We believe in a God who gives and a God who takes away. And at the end of the story, that's the wisdom that's there for us. We don't need to blame other things. You know, we can look at ourselves, we can, you know, hurt ourselves sometimes by saying, I did these things, therefore I deserve this loss in my life. It's like, no, go wrestle with God. Go wrestle with God, whatever that looks like. If that's an elbow movement, an arm movement, a leg movement, a foot movement, maybe you need to shave your head, put on some sackcloth and ash. Maybe you need to call your three best friends this week and just say, where is God in my life? Where is God in my life right now? I know God has taken some things away from me and I just do not get it. Where is God? There has to be something else that's there for me. And not just me individually, but maybe me corporately as a church community. Because remember, wisdom literature is not just about the individual, but about the corporate. It's about the community expression, the church expression, right? God has taken things away from our church this year. And obviously there's lament in that. But maybe we can lament together, not just for the sake of lament and wrestle, 
but that we might gain perspective about what's next for us, about where God has us going, about what God has in front of us as a church community. Because no doubt, God has something for us. There is a soccer ball. There is a soccer ball for each and every one of us, and us, for you and us. There is a soccer ball in this life, my friends. So wrestle with God. And maybe you don't need to wrestle with God. Maybe things are good this week. And maybe you can be a bit like Job and just open your hands up a little bit more and appreciate things this week. After all, it's Thanksgiving, right? It's Thanksgiving. We should be thankful for all the ways that God has given. And maybe we should even be thankful for the way that the Lord has taken some things away from us in our life. Not to go back to my story, but losing basketball was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. That's how I met God. I met God as a result of my having lost basketball. I never would have thought that when I was happening to me at the time, but later on I could reflect back and go, that is exactly how I entered into a relationship with God and other Christians was because I lost that sport. There was a soccer ball that was 10 feet away from me and I got there and I'm still going there. It's still there, it's still moving. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And just in the way that we reflect on this story and we remember that Job blessed the name of his children with these beautiful names. So we also bless the name of the Lord for all the ways that he's at work in our life and in this world. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Let's wrestle with God. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, you do give and you do take away. And at times that can be a blessing. It can feel like great joy and enthusiasm. But much like when Mary read from Philippians, we remember, God, that part of the vision of this relationship is to be content when we are in plenty and when we are in want. And Lord, that you would be our rock and our stability and our rescuer and the one who would be saving us in the midst of every place that we are in our life. So Lord, help us see you at work in our life when we go to wrestle with you. Help us see you in the midst of our loss and what you have for us after this. And we just might be able to give back to worship, to sing boldly and loudly, blessed be your name. We pray this in your name and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.